Uh, I had a meeting with Gary and he, he absolutely talked to me, talked the ear off me and convinced me to sign. Loads of time for Gary and he's still a, still a good friend of mine. I think that I touched on earlier on in terms of team morale and, and team spirit. Um, this going to happen to him, we have that. Hey guys, just before we get to the chat with David Elbert, just a reminder, Craig McLean's podcast is available. It was released last week. David makes mention of Craig a few times in the conversation. Make sure you check out Craig's podcast. Also, another player that David played with at Derry City, Rory Patterson, his podcast is available also, so make sure you check that one out too. As you probably know, the podcast is available on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Find the podcast, give it a like, give it a follow, and you'll see what other content's coming up soon. But without further ado, let's get to the conversation with David Albert. Five, four, three, two, one. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Darren Potts, and I'm delighted today to have with me um, a guest, a guest that's played in Scotland, in England, in Iceland, in Northern Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland. And I'm going to pick his brain a bit about his football career, about the different standards of football across the UK. It's David Ellibert. David, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, Darren? And thanks so much for having me. I'm doing really well. Delighted to have you here, David. Um, as we just talked about before we went live with this sort of interview, you're in your third lockdown and there's not too much for you to do over home, but you are doing a little bit of studying, am I right? Yeah, that's right, actually. Um, I've recently just um, got back into a sport management degree that I started about maybe five or six years ago. Um, I deferred for, I think it was, I think it was five years I deferred for. Uh, we just had a second kid. So it was just a bit too much to to um to dedicate my time to to do the to the degree at that stage. So, um, so I've just got back into it in September, mainly with um probably with with, with an outlook on the on the COVID situation and how fragile football can be, um, in terms of of a, of a player's scenario and certainly a manager's or a coach's scenario. Um, so this year has been really stop start for for me as a coach and my team. I was coaching Shelburne on the nineteens this year. And really stopped there for the lads. I actually really felt for the lads. It was frustrating at times for for us as coaching staff. But I can only imagine what it, what it's like for young lads trying to trying to make a name for themselves in the game. We ended. I think we ended up doing three pre seasons this year. <laughs> <laughs> three just laps of the pitch. Yeah. So that, that was the, that was kind of the main reason why I, why I went back into studying. Just because it, like just to focus on football. Um, it's it's very especially in this country, especially down in, in the League of Ireland. It's very fragile. Um, with no fans meant no income for clubs, and that 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 may lead to the, the further complications down the line, but potentially not even a league going ahead this year. Yeah, it'd be quite similar up in Northern Ireland as well, where you where you've played, and we'll, we'll come to that a bit later in the podcast. But certainly, with you going back in to do this degree, and you spoke about your coaching at Shelbourne and stuff there, is that the goal for you? Do you see yourself in long term and maybe? In football, in some capacity, is that where you you're going? Um, yeah, I think that's that's the that's the end goal. You know, um, football has been my life for so long, and um, it'd be hard to kind of change career now if you like. Um, I do have a job, a full time job, and uh, working in the transport industry. I've been working in the transport for maybe six or seven years now, coinciding along or at the same time when I went part time and started playing up north. Um, but yeah, sport and, and football in particular. Is the main the main goal and the main aim. Um, so I've done my, my A license through the through the FAI down here. Um, so actually, we just that's another thing was putting the back burner with this whole lockdown situation. 
And I've handed in all my assignments and we still have to do just one more coaching session um, until I get that, that certificate. But hopefully hopefully the coaching session will go well. Um, but yeah, so what I was thinking with the sport management degree is when I first started is to, is to just broaden a bit my perspective a little bit in, in sport and in football. Um, it gives you the, the sport management degree I'm doing, gives you an over an overview of how clubs are run um, at board level and, and club level and, and everything else in, in between that and focuses on like stuff like uh, marketing, advertising, sponsorship deals and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, no, it's, it's very interesting at, at the minute. Um, I'm learning learning lots as I, as I go. It's tough now. It's a it's it's tough to, to to dedicate the time to do that with balance and family and and work and and whatever else I've got on the back burner. Um, but no, it's going going really well, and it is. It's an area I definitely see myself see myself in in the future. You obviously enjoy it, you know, to continue to pursue you know football and this type of career and the and the degree and the coaching of Shelburne and something. It's obviously something you're passionate about. But take me way back when you were a kid. When you were a kid and um, wanted to play football, were you the same as what we would have been maybe across the border up north with, out in the street with a football? 100%. Absolutely 100%. And, and I feel actually that, that street football is kind of lost nowadays on kids sometimes. Um, but yeah, like night and day out with a ball. Like I, I don't know how many rows I had with my parents or my, my mother in particular. About <laughs> the new pair of runners are having scuffed a, a pair or a, a hole in a pair of tracksuit bottoms, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, where we lived, there was a little cul-de-sac um, in Swords in Dublin, and there was the good number. Of, there was a good good number of footballing families, and everybody was football daft. And uh, we were out, like I said, day and night, like just kicking ball, kicking the ball. And, and uh, there was a couple of green spaces around. We got around the corner when we were old enough. And but I think every Christmas, somebody got got a new pair of football boots or a, a ball or a goal that we can all go out on the road and play. So. And it was right, right from right from day one, right from right from when I can walk. I think um, I had a ball at my feet, you know. Were you always a defender, or were you when you were younger? Were you like, did you prefer to score goals? Um, no, it was it was I, early days. I was a midfielder, mm-hmm. so um, just kind of combative midfielder, and I could 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 score a couple of goals as well, getting the end of a few crosses. Or mm-hmm. um, I, did, I did a decent free kick when I was a schoolboy. <laughs> Something that you kind of lose when you get into the to the senior level. You have lads who are who are really technically technically very gifted, you know, and uh, it might it might just seem a bit um, unusual. A centre or a centre half stepping forward to take a free kick, you know, but um, no, it was um, I was always always mainly middle to back of the pitch. Um, there was a few cameo roles and a number six role in my days in, in Hamilton, but that didn't last very long. I was quickly put back to centre back again. <laughs> well talk to me about you know we, we talked about street football and it brings back really fond memories for me as I'm sure it does you as well but specifically now you're, you're coaching at Shelbourne and even I've noticed it that a lot of the coaching it, it's very much organized coaching whereas back when we were kids there's a lot you learned a lot just from playing street football against playing the older lads and it's maybe a different type of footballer whenever you get yeah, well, it's, it's kind of part of the, the, the debate as a coach, you know, or all these modern modern ideas and modern coaching styles coming in. Um, a lot of a lot of teams and a lot of a lot of players can get bogged down with the with the kind of I don't want to say mundane, but kind of really tactical, boring kind of side of the game, you know. Now it's important for our coaches to us to get our opinion across or get our, our point of view across to the players or or the tactics we're we're going to have for the for the upcoming game or that. But you can see it from a, certainly from a player's perspective. Um, they just want to play games. Like at the end of training sessions, everybody's buzzing for the for the end of a end of a training match. Um, and I, th- I think, for me personally, 
Um, I think players learn a lot more from from playing playing games, playing matches, eleven v elevens in particular. Um, the preseason that we tried to incorporate with shells with, with my under nineteens team um, has been to try and get two games a week for the large proportion of preseason. So the running sessions are they they were grueling for me as, as a player. Like and nobody ever enjoys running sessions. So if you're playing two games a week, your fitness levels go through the roof straight away, and and it's more. Um, I would say it's more relative to to what you're going to be doing on a Saturday anyway when the league starts, the blood and thunder of, of league football. Yeah. And another thing what we tried to do with our 19s is we, we, we were trying to play a couple of senior teams, like junior senior teams in around Dublin. Mm-hmm. So to kind of get them re- really kind of into the, the men's game so the next level for them is, is first team football. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't, you just don't learn. Or it's not that you don't learn. There's, there's no better way of learning than in a, a real match environment, you know? Yeah, 100%. And would the difference as well be, would there be a bit of a physical difference between those friendlies to maybe what the under-19s league level would be in terms of maybe the tackling and the physicality of it? Yeah, well, obviously the, the, the boys would have been playing against men in pre-season um, with obviously in the league games and that. They'd be playing against kids their own age and there's a lot of a lot of focus on the technical side of the game now. Everyone's trying to play out from the back and play play pretty football. And we're with those teams, the junior men's teams, they just want to just win. Is more of a focus on winning, winning mentality, and if it gets physical, they're not afraid to do that. Um, probably quicker than they they be, they'd be able to, to play out from the back, you know. But it was a it was a good learn, learning curve for for our lads, and it was actually one that I enjoyed because a lot of our lads stood up to the to the task, and I, th- I think we went unbeaten in preseason this year. Excellent, always good for a coach, you know, starting out under 19s team unbeaten in preseason. But take me back to a bit of your playing days, going over to England and Preston at a young age. Um, how did you find that? What was the quality like, training like? Tell me about your diet, your time at Preston. Yeah, so Preston would have been my first kind of professional environment that I was involved in in the football. Um, it was brilliant. Absolutely loved it from day one. Um, I would have been, I wouldn't have been one of the kids that got homesick very easily. Um, I was over there to do to do a job to, to try and become a professional footballer. You know. Um, I was always kind of quite level-headed as a, as a young fella going over so I knew what I was there to do and I enjoyed loved the trend every day loved being part of a football club and, and even even the ugly side of the, the, the YT set up at the time we'd be cleaning boots and cleaning dressing rooms and mopping floors and that I, I enjoyed that as well it was kind of character building in its own sense but now what really enjoyed me Tony Preston there was a lot of a lot of Irish influence over there at the time as well I think in the, in the digs we were staying in there was probably about six Irish. There was definitely there was two lads from the north, and I think there was at any time there was maybe there was three from the south. Anyway, so it was a good good strong Irish connection there. And probably that if if I was to get homesick or feel homesick at all, it was always good to bounce off the Irish lads there. Anyway, um, so yeah, in terms of like full time football, it was it was great. We were, you're you're getting in there, you're training every day, you're learning so much, um, and then and then you can you get you get a kind of a feel for what it's like. You get a feel for like even the nasty side of it, the, the cutthroat side of it. Um, it's him or me or you, you or him. You know this sort of mentality. Um, but no, right from the early, early start, uh, it was a great experience. And the, the thing that I enjoyed most actually about Preston was we played 19 straight away. So it wasn't this academy football. You weren't playing for the 17s, 18s, and 19s or whatever way it works now. I'm not too familiar with the academy structures now. We we went straight in the 19s. So like my Shelbourne on the 19s team. We were trying to bring them to the next step, uh, play against the, the bigger, more physical opposition. So I we went straight into Preston, 
as a 16 year old and I was playing on the 19s and that was that was great that was great actually and one thing that I found that when I came back and played any sort of international games I was always more than more than capable of mixing it in the international setup and it, it kind of it was I was more equipped for them games you know maybe maybe not as as um as tactical or as technical but certainly physically um I would have been I would have been well able to to um, compete on an international level you know what about that time in England? What maybe did you learn the most, specifically Preston, as a young man going over? Yeah, uh, probably, probably, probably more life skills than in terms of football. Mm-hmm. Um, going over as a kid of sixteen, probably immature as all sixteen-year-olds would be. But certainly within within the first year or two, I was coming home and I, I was a man, like, you know. Um, I was I had my finances in order, but over there by myself, I was living in digs looking after myself on a daily basis then we were getting dinners and stuff like that um in the digs uh, but more often than not at the weekends you were, you were kind of free to do your own thing and if you weren't going home for a weekend we were we were out in the, out in town shopping or and just doing our own thing just just growing up so it was it was definitely a um a growing up learning curve that probably probably I learned the most over there you know who did you work under? Was there any specific coaches that you worked under that left an impression on you at your time in Preston? Um, in terms of first team coaches, anyone? Yeah, with the first team or under nineteens. Yeah, um, so well, for, in terms of first team, um, I would have signed for Preston when David Moyes was there. So David Moyes signed me um, as a kid, and then I don't think Moyes even lasted a summer before he moved to, to Everton. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that, that was actually disappointing because um, I kind of you kind of get the feel that somebody likes you, you know, are you? They they give you the impression that they like you. So when you're going in there, it kind of makes you feel good. Um, so you're going in. Uh, the first preseason we did, Craig Brown took over as manager. Yeah. Um, then under Craig Brown, there was uh, his assistant was Billy Davis, and Billy Billy was great. Like Billy eventually took over from from Craig, and Billy he was he was hugely influential. When Billy first got the job, actually, he told me if I could get somewhere else, um, to to try and forward my career somewhere else, he he'd be willing to listen to to or offers or willing to let me go, you know. But I went back then for a pre-season with the first team, and Billy was fantastic with me. He like he he kept me involved with the first team, sent me out on loan then to to Scarborough, and he he had a lot of pulling actually sending me to Hamilton, um from Preston, um so in terms of Billy Billy Davis, he was brilliant, like real like I think I think that Billy would have been um, known for would be his attention detail. So he was doing video. Video analysis before video analysis was was a thing, and um, he was meticulous in that, and he, he knew he had all sorts of info on the opposition, and and how pr- the first team were going to go about beating the opposition, and that, that was that was great. That was that was excellent. That was probably the, the first experience that I had with the the modern techniques or the modern the the modern teachings of football, you know. Um, but yeah, um, Billy Davis is probably the best coach in, in terms of the first team that I would have w- worked for. And then underage, or part of the 19s, we had a manager called Simon Davey. And Simon actually, he took a step into management with Barnsley and got Barnsley um, to the, was it the FA Cup, maybe quarterfinal, maybe. Yeah. Um, done really well with Barnsley for a couple of years, and, and now I think he's across in America. Um, so, yeah, so of the bunch, I, I would say from the Preston days, Billy Davis was probably the, the most influential, you know. You talked even about the relationship there, and for you as a coach, is it important to have that relationship with with a manager and the players? Um, specifically, you mentioned that he said he was open to listen to offers, but when you came back for training, he involved you, and that yeah. obviously is a good thing. You know, we hear a lot these days of 
players being frozen out by managers and left out yeah. and things like that. Talk to me about maybe the relationship between players and managers at, at a professional level and how key and important is it? Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, you, you always need to have to have that approachable, personal level with players. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's 20 years ago or if it's in the, the modern age or the, the modern day with, with young lads now. Um, there's definitely a, a difference between eras. Um, I think my era was, was basically getting on with it. You know, that was a, co- a common phrase used if, if, something, if, you, if you come up across uh, an obstacle or a hurdle, it's, it's getting on with it. Like get your head down and get on with it and work hard. Where, where kids nowadays, um, they're, I wouldn't say a little bit, maybe a little bit softer, but um, if they put, there's, there's more arms around shoulders now than, than, than hair dryer treatment, you know. Um, but the, no, the, the personal effect with the players is very important. Like it, it just, it gives you a relationship with them, and that's that's the first stepping stone. You're like, if you have these players going on the pitch for you, you need them, or they need to be able to trust you, and you need to be able to trust them. So, um, by building that relationship, and and what Billy did for me then at the time, he could he could have just froze me out, um, but he didn't. He kept me involved, and and for those that that, that preseason and those first couple of couple of months with the first team in preseason, I learned so much, and and. Uh, Improved so much as well, um. So again, like thankful for for Billy for that. But he was he was always very personal with, with me. I remember we went for a preseason, um, camp to Italy, uh, Verona in Italy, and at the end of it, the two of us were actually myself and Billy were checking out at the same time, and, and it was a bit kind of bashful. I was like, oh, hey, hey, gaffer, you know, and he goes, Davey, listen, I've been hugely impressed with you over preseason. He says you you got your head down, you worked hard, um, and you you play, you got minutes under your belt, and I've been I've been hugely impressed with your attitude and. In your application, and um, that always kind of stuck in my mind. So um, my attitude, and my application was was uh, was always that was the, the least you can do as a, as a professional, you know. Um, but the personal approach that Billy took with me there just it, it always it always sticks with you, you know. Even now, like I think back, and even that conversation and, and that that um, it just sticks in your mind, and it just uh, it gave me that little boost boost in confidence that I might have needed at the time. Um, and we didn't have to, but he did, and and then. When we came back to the UK, then he started me out with a move to Hamilton, or or, or eventually started me out with a move to Hamilton in the January. Well, explain what happened um, with the move to Hamilton, and then tell me about your time in Scotland with Hamilton as well. Yeah, so the move with with Hamilton actually, I was on loan for the first. Uh, I was I was supposed to be on loan at Scarborough for the first three months in the season, <clears throat> and I went there, played twelve games or so at the start of the season, and then. The manager got sacked. We weren't doing particularly well. And um, Neil Redfern actually took over. And Redders straight away just said, listen, I've plans to go a different way with, with a centre-half. I know you're on loan. And I'm looking to send you back. Um, so because I, I couldn't go back, or I wasn't supposed to be able to go back until my, the loan had finished, I went back a couple of weeks earlier. And there was a, a reserve game. And um, Hamilton were looking for a centre-half. And they were down looking at another kid that was playing because, because I wasn't allowed to play. So they liked to look at him. They were going to take him, and Billy stepped in and said, "No, listen, I've a better centre half for you. He's he can't play today because of the the loan restriction. Um, but I'll send him up to you the fourth of January, and you can you can get looking." So within a day or so of going up to Hamilton, um, I had, a, I had an offer on the table. So um, without having any any other offers on the table, I I jumped to the chance to play first team football. You went up to Scotland. You played first team football. You done really well with Hamilton. Um, what do you, what's your thoughts on your time at Hamilton now, as you know, someone who's retired from playing and looking back at it? Yeah, 
I know it was a it was a great bunch of bunch to work with. Um, the manager Billy Reid, and the players in the dressing room. We were a really close knit group. That was it was probably already really there when I when I arrived. Um, I was I was another kind of addition to the group, and I fit in really well with with the group that was there already. But you had the likes of even and I name drop a few names here, like so. James McCarthy was there. Alex Neal was there. Um, you had the likes of Brian Easton, James McCarthy coming through the the youth teams. Um, we had a, we had a big a big leader. Mark McLaughlin was there, big centre half. Um, you had guys like that, really strong characters, and um, just that that was the that was the core group of the club for many years there, or for the years that I was there. Um, and that a lot of that core group or some of that core group, um, had came from came with Billy from Clyde. Uh, so Billy, when Billy moved across to Hamilton. They, he had he had a, a couple of lads that he brought across with him, and, and Big Marco was one of them, and there was a couple of other lads as well. That's uh, that eventually actually came back and played with us with Hamilton. Um, but yeah, it was it was the it was the morale and it was the team spirit in that team that was that was by far um, the what made us a successful team that we were. You know, and we none of us were really totally gifted footballers like myself. I goes like centre half, obviously. Uh, big Marco was a big centre half. He, he headed the length of the pitch for you, um, but don't really ask him to pass the ball for you. <laughs> um, you had Alex Neal, obviously fantastic player um, at that level, um, and, and t- taking a step into management now. You James MacArthur, who was only just kind of cutting his teeth. Myself and James kind of started playing at the same time. He was breaking through as I went up, um, and, and made my move permanent. Um, so yeah, but it was it was the I, I remember a couple of times uh, having a little. Like nights out and players nights out, and you'd you'd have a conversation with a couple of the ex- more experienced lads, and they'd be saying, "Listen, this group of players and and this 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 bond we we have as a group, you won't find this too many times in your football career." And of course, being my being my first taste of first team and, and first team experience and, and and senior football, I was like, "Ah, yeah, okay, next team I go to will have this, not, not a problem." But it turns out there's probably only one other club, or one other team that I found that the camaraderie and and the the real togetherness as a as a team, you know. Did it surprise you at all um, at Hamilton, you know, coming into that environment as well? You know, it, it strikes me as a family type environment is just the way you're describing it. Did that, did that surprise you at all? And then the emergence of James McCarthy and James McArthur and what they went on to do, did any of their careers and what they went on to do surprise you at all? Or could you see that when you're playing with them, you could see the ability and see the drive? Yeah, um, I, I don't think, not that I don't think, but at the time when I was, when I was going up there, I don't think... Um, I was aware of what was actually happening around me. Um, like taking a look back, I, I, I realised what was going on. But now Hamilton was a was a was definitely a like a family orientated club. Like we we all had our had our wives and girlfriends at the games every weekend, and we'd have nights out with them and dinners with them and stuff like that. So, um, but in terms of, in terms of anything else that was surprising, um, in term in terms of players, I don't think so. I think James McCarthy as a sixteen year old burst on the scene. Uh, pretty quickly, you know, he'd been training with us since he was 15, and um, so we knew we knew what what where he was going and, and how good he was. Um, other players like you said Brian Easton and James McArthur would have would have developed a little bit slower, and um, but but there was no no denying their abilities and and um, and their again their attitude and application. James McArthur is is one in, in particular. Like, I think you'd have to kill that man to beat him on the football pitch. You know, he just he's just relentless. He just keeps going and, and he he always always trained. The way he played, and I remember having a chat with the sports scientist one of the days, and it was like, "Oh, what's how's my heart rate there today?" 
And he was like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah he worked hard there today. He says, we didn't work hard on James McCarter. James McCarter's heart rate was at like 99% for about a half an hour during the session. <laughs> so it was crazy. The statistics he used to produce for for the fitness levels and work rate was, it was incredible, you know. Um, I had a football coach on the podcast before and he was a very big advocate of training how you play. And from from your opinion as a coach, but also a, a former professional player, is that statement true or is it very much you sort of save yourself for the games a little bit or do you just sort of have to manage your own body closer to game time or how, how does that work? Yeah, so as a coach, you're looking for 100% intensity every training session you can you get. Um, and what that does is just it just makes sure, make sure you're ready for the game environment. You know, if you're not training at 100% in the games, how can you expect to play at 100%? Or sorry, if you're not training at 100%, how can you expect to play games at 100%? Um, now, it probably depends on what stage of your career you're at in terms of managing managing yourself and how hard you train. And, and certainly the early parts of my career, I had not, no real serious issues with injury. And I was f- flat to the mat. Like, like, again, like in terms of... Um, I actually used to find myself sometimes being tired come a Saturday morning before the game. That's how hard I used to push myself in training. But that was probably due to my own attributes and my own um, level of, of performance. So I would have had to perform at a high level in training just to compete and to justify my place in the team. Um, and I wasn't blessed with any real pace throughout, throughout my career. So <laughs> I would have had to have been sprinting 100% when these lads around me might have been at maybe 90%, you know. Um, so it's it's those little minor things and, and further down the line that probably led to a lot of my injuries later in my career and um, I think I was averaging if you look at you get 20 games in me um, in the last maybe four or five seasons as, as a player you know um, but that was just the, the body just giving up in the end and that was, that was hard to deal with actually as a player as well because having trained and played that hard for that long it was tough like I remember having conversations with my dad and my uncle and they would have played football as well down here um, at a decent level and um, they were advising me, listen, you got to take a step back from training. And I was like, yeah, I can't. I, I don't feel I can. Because if I take a step back from training, it's going to affect my performances on a Saturday. Um, but I, eventually, if I, I had to take a, a step back from training and just, just reduce it slightly. So not, not train at 100%. Train at 95 or train at 90%. Just and then, and then do, if there's anything extra I need to do myself during the week, that I just go out and do a little bit myself. Just to get me ready for that for that game, just to get myself in, in good condition. Um, but um, yeah, in terms of in terms of demanding everything as as a player and as a as a coach, I think it's I think it's a must. I think you you must demand everything and you must want to train and perform at a hundred percent every time you go on the pitch. I think that comes from mentality too. Um, that if, you know, if a player is just focused and driven and excited to go out and play and then obviously the coaching maybe side comes into it in terms of motivation and pushing players and whatnot but at your time at Hamilton specifically you talked about Alex and you know James McCarthy James MacArthur and whatnot from your time at Hamilton do you have a favorite memory or favorite moment or a couple of favorite moments from your time at Hamilton um uh, without doubt it was winning the league with that with that group yeah um like for going going into that season we weren't favorites at all um, and we hit the ground running that season. I think we went seven. We won our first seven games or something, something ridiculous like that. And um, it just, it just set the tone for the whole, for the whole season. And I don't know, I don't know if as a team, as a group, we were expecting it, but it just snowballed from there. And, and we, we grew in confidence. And, and um, 
I guess when the, I, I just the feeling when that final whistle went at the end of the season when we knew we'd won the league was just it was a sense of relief from the amount of hard, hard work and, and like miles we put in the legs throughout the season. Um, but the joy and, and the, the the happiness that that brought was uh, was one of the best feelings in football, you know. Um, probably makes a lot of when you leave home at sixteen and go across to be professional. You're putting hours in, you're putting work in, and you're just killing yourself, you know, to pro- progress at this at this football at the professional level. Get your hands on a medal, on the trophy, winning the league. It must just make the whole thing worthwhile, you know. Right from oh, yeah, the yeah. to that Absolutely. point. Yeah, you just you just kind of you forget about everything else, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all the all the lows in football are usually um, kind of squashed by by the highs, if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. You know, along the way, there's a lot of lows, but but when you get a high, as, as like win the league or like the cups, cups are great as well. Cups cups give you a high for a little bit, but the league was it was just the, the satisfaction of winning the league, knowing that you were the best team for that whole year and consistently all the way through. That it was just. That was that was the one major major medal for me that was, that just meant the most, you know. You said a word there, consistency, and it's something I like to ask people, especially people that played at a professional level, because I find consistency is the hardest thing in football. I think a lot of boys have talent, but they're not consistent. And for you at a professional level, how did you stay consistent? And for you also, also as a coach, how do you help players stay consistent? Yeah, um, so touch on the, the playing side of things I, I guess it was it was always um, it's, probably, it's, hard, it's hard to focus or to, to, to give you one, a one word answer for that or, mm-hmm. or one one adjective or something like that to, to relate consistency to something you know and um, I guess it was just probably like concentration focus knowing your job getting on with your job and don't don't try to overcomplicate anything um, I know myself as a defender like it's 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 easier to destroy than to create, um, and that's probably where players are, are like maybe players, critics, pundits, everybody will get frustrated. Coaches, coaches, managers will get frustrated with, with players in the attacking in the attacking third. Uh, but these guys are the most creative players in the pitch, um, and they win matches. Um, so, with that with that in mind, um, there's going to be inconsistencies. Creative players have to try things to to be able to create, create to, to to be able to make goals, to be able to make chances. Um, and sometimes it doesn't come off. Whereas as a defender, I was, I was a bit more uh, less creative, uh, less ambitious. Um, just give it to the fella next year, give it to the fella in front of you, um, head it, kick it. <laughs> so my my jobs, my roles as a defender was a lot more basic than than a, a centre forward or a creative midfielder or a wide player. Um, so it's yeah, consistency. It's it's it was it, it is a hard thing to maintain um, as a player. Um, it's even harder to try and motivate and um, maintain consistency as a coach in the team. Um, because as a, as a player, you're only focusing on yourself. Yeah. Uh, realistically, you're, you're just, it's like it's very much a, a kind of an individual selfish sport, although it's a team, a team game. Um, you kind of, you're kind of focused on your own jobs, your own goals. Whereas a coach is stepping into the bigger picture and you're looking at everybody's goals, everybody's, everybody's um, jobs on the pitch, you know, um, so, so being consistent as a team, it's 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 probably based or you you base it off basics. You just get them to do the right right the right things first. Don't try not to overcomplicate it, especially with the with defense defending. You kind of build from the back, make sure you're solid at the back first, and then you then you build from there, and then you let the creative lads do what they do in the, in the top end of the pitch. Is it harder in today's game in terms of the coaching aspect? 
specifically because everyone wants to play it from the back. Everyone wants to teach possession, passing, football, mm-hmm. high press, energy. Or, or maybe when I grew up and maybe when you grew up, you know, we just seen defending as you have a bank of four and it's hard to break down. Whereas now even your fullbacks are expected to be like wingers. Is it more difficult now to coach defending and positioning because of what people are maybe saying, what we're seeing on TV, what we're hearing from different pundits, especially when the Premier League is overanalyzed to death? Is yeah. it harder for you as a coach? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think it's, again, it's just, it just scale it back to players knowing their jobs, knowing their roles and, as long as you're getting your your points across to your players, I think they, they should understand what the what the, the jobs are. Um, in terms of defending, um, I think the game has changed, so there'll probably be more more of a focus on centre half being able to play out from the back than it would be to defend a cross coming in. And that would be one thing that I've noticed with my, with my players um, at under 19s level. Um, there's more more focus on them, them stepping out into the midfield area or making a killer pass. Where I all I'd be asking for my defenders to do is just defend their box. If the ball comes into the area, just defend it, and that's your job done. Everything else that happens around that or after that is is out of their control. All you can do is control, control the controllables and control the situations in a game. You know, um. So, but in, ter- in terms of it's 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 not harder. It, the game defending the game doesn't change. It just it it, it might just change in in terms of uh, tactics maybe tactics change or, or what areas of the pitch you press in so if you're going for a high press your your strikers have to be be, be, on, be on the ball and be on the, on the front foot and pressing um, another thing with that is that strikers don't like defending anyway so <laughs> they'll give you a half-hearted attempt at pressing the centre-half or whatever and if the centre-half is any decent you, you'll, you'll get out somehow you know um, but everybody has to be on tune if you're going with a high press everybody has to be on tune and, and another thing another aspect of the game that has changed is the athleticism. Everybody now is is really, really fit, really athletic, really lean. Um, lots of emphasis on, on um, diets and, and uh, extracurricular stuff like gyms and um, and stuff like that. So the game is the game has has come on since since I was a say a white here Preston. Um, so and that would be that that would that would have again would have kind of um, led to to my my um, retirement at thirty two. <laughs> now. Some people would tell you I probably should have retired at 28, but um, <laughs> now just the pace of the game and um, and how and how much you ha- how much running you had to do, even as a centre half, um, just kind of led to my, my quick quick retirement from the game. <laughs> well, from Hamilton, let's go back to a bit more of your playing career before we touch on sort of the retirement stage. Um, really fascinated by some of those comments. I'm going to pick a few of them later on to ask you about. But from Hamilton, you left Hamilton and you went to Iceland. Now, for me, as someone from just outside Belfast, when someone who grows up in Dublin goes to Scotland and plays, like, okay, that's a normal move. England, Scotland, yeah. Northern Ireland, Ireland, Wales, in and around the UK, whatever. But when you decide to go from Scotland to Iceland, to me, that's outside the box and that's random. But for you as a professional player, was it a new challenge? Was it just something fresh? Was there a project there? Talk to me about yeah. your time in Iceland. Yeah, no, well, first of all, I love my time in Iceland. Um, the club I was with was, was a club called Fielker, and they couldn't have been more welcoming, couldn't have been more accommodating for myself, my family. Um, now, my wife at, at the time was in London, so this is where this story is going. Um, yeah, we kind of, we had a time in Hamilton at the, at the time, probably a little bit inexperienced. Um, I probably should have signed a longer longer deal the year previous, 
to keep me at the club for longer. Um, I wouldn't call it a regret, but it was probably a decision that I could have thought a bit more of. Um, I only signed a one-year deal, and then at the end of that one-year deal, I, I left Hamilton. Um, so, and we got relegated from the SPL. So realistically, I probably should have uh, negotiated a longer contract and kept, which kept me there for longer. Um, so the, the, maybe the move to Iceland wouldn't have materialised then. But as it turned out, uh, at the end of the season, uh, left Hamilton and um, I had a few things in the pipeline, a few things like, you know, I had an agent at the time and he was trying to get me here, there and everywhere. And, and uh, I kind of, I was kind of enthusiastic or excited about playing somewhere across Europe. Um, I felt the the style of the style of play might have suited me a bit better. I know this is this is all my ego getting in the way of of my football career, really. So, but what, how it turned out, then I ended up back. I uh, didn't get anything across Europe, and um, ended up on trial with Queen of South in the first division in, mm. in Scotland, and pulled my hamstring in a friendly game or a, or a bounce game. So then I was like, oh shit, I'm in trouble here. Like, so not only have I not got a club, but now I'm injured. Um, so um, yeah, so I was out for six weeks. Anyway, I went to see a running coach down in London, um, a rehab running coach that I'd seen over a couple of years or sporadically over a couple of years through my football career. Um, so I went down there. My wife was working with Scottish Gas um, up in Scotland, and she was she got a, a promotion, and the promotion took her down to Windsor, um, the head office down there for British Gas um, in, in in Windsor. So. We decided to, to just just go for it. So I had my agent down there again. Um, so I finished with Queen of South uh, and uh, went down there. I'd done a few couple of trials with. I was down there at Rotherham and I was down with um, Wickham. And then we played. We played Chelsea at, at four. Sorry, we played playing for Wickham. I played against Chelsea at at Cobham training ground and I pulled my hamstring again. And like probably about a couple of months after it happened, so I found myself in limbo again. Um, and they were down down in London at the time. I didn't have any source of income at the time. Um, so the move to Iceland materialised, or Chem 2 and materialised. Uh, it wasn't until after the Christmas that it, that it materialised. So I was, I was kind of staring in the barrel of, of having to look at a changing career because like the, the money in Scotland it wasn't, isn't exactly life-changing. So um, the savings were whittling away there, you know. So um, the move to Iceland came about in January, February time, and I went on pre-season. Um, to Spain with them or Portugal sorry it was Albuquerque went to Portugal with them for a couple of weeks and um, again straight as soon as they kind of see me see me qualities and see, see the, the the level that, that I came from and they wanted to sign me straight away so as soon as I came home with a week at home and done a bit of training myself and then flew, flew to Iceland then to start the season in the, in the, in the uh, start of the season was April so I think I went over there mid-March or something to, to join up with the rest of the squad and how was that? You know, going out to Iceland, playing yeah. in Iceland. Um, what was the team? What was your teammates like? Yeah, mate. Lo- honestly, I loved it. Like I said, the, the whole club was so accommodating. The way they the way they work it over in in Iceland. Um, a lot of clubs are based around communities, so we nearly nearly like um, Gaelic football clubs, if that makes any any sense. Really, kind of community orientated. Um, so our football club and the ground was based beside the local gym, the local swimming pool. Um, the, all the local amenities were, were kind of within walking distance, you know. And um, so, re- a really good family community feel to the club, you know, and that's that's why I loved it so much. Um, along with that, as well, my wife was still working in Windsor, so she'd come over once a month, and I'd, I'd fly back once a month. Um, so for the season, we, we were we were apart for that season, and but it gave me a chance to focus and 
or sorry, not not focus, but focus even more than it than he had been at Hamilton. You know, there was no other distractions. All I was there to do was play football again. So the, the club used to train. We used to train in the evening times. So for, for in the morning times, I'd be up, get myself into the gym for ten o'clock, go home, get some food, rest up, out training again at five, at five o'clock. Um, so that was a little routine I got myself in. I was in really good condition and uh, uh, played the whole season over there. I played 30-odd games for them, um, including cup competitions and stuff like that. And, and the club I was at, Vilker, was quite a small club and the, uh, survival was the main thing. And at one stage in the season, I think we were we were up in fourth position and we needed to qualify for Europe. So now a really, really good season. And I finished up then the the double player of the year award as well. So player's player and, and a manager's player. So a really successful season for for me personally. Um, really enjoyed my time, and we we along with that as well that like the club wanted to keep me. The club offered me a two year deal, um, but we just felt myself and my wife wife. Um, it was just too much. It was we were kind of thinking of starting a family at that stage. So I would have been twenty five, twenty six over there, and settling down over there would have been a lot harder. Uh, say with a baby, than it would have been at home. And that's that was the reason why I chose to come home then in the end. Talked about your wife getting the job in London and you going to Iceland and how important is having a support system in all aspects of life, but specifically professional football. Um, you're out in Iceland, you're playing football, but your wife's in London, she's working. Obviously, you're still seeing each other you know, twice a month, but even just knowing that there's someone there that cares, supports you and willing to you know listen to any problems, whatever, how integral is that in in and maybe your career so far. Yeah, it is huge. Um, but for whatever for, for whatever reason, like I don't I don't depend on that, mm-hmm. um, or I didn't depend on that in my playing career. Like even as a kid going over at sixteen, um, yeah, I had a couple of Irish lads over there in, in the same boat away from home. But the homesickness never really hit me, and it was like that. Yes, there was I, I miss miss my wife and she was working absolutely. Like, um, but it was a case of. Again, I was there to do to do one thing. I was there to play football. Be, be, or I was there to be the best that I could be for that club at that particular time, and, and that's that's always what I tried to do wherever I went as a um, as a footballer and as a, a rep- representing whatever club I was at. And um, with your time in Iceland too, whenever obviously the wife came over, did you get to see the country a little bit? It's an absolutely stunning country, and yeah. I'm sure it's a yeah. marvelous place to live. Yeah, oh, it's gorgeous, man. Yeah, it's it's really nice. We probably. Probably didn't venture too far away from where we were. The the chairman used to bring us. So every time we had family over, I used to go to the it's a it's a, a tourist destination like our tourist trip called the the Golden Circle. So it takes you around all the all the geysers and the waterfalls and, and stuff like that and the glaciers. And it was a fantastic experience. Like really beautiful country, and uh, no really really enjoyed our time there. And that, that's what I was saying about the the club being being so family orientated and so like community orientated as well and um, like every time my family over like they're saying oh listen we'll pick the family up from the airport like they gave me like as part of my contract I had a car and they were saying no no we'll pick them up like whatever you need to do and I actually I think there was one time where I was training when my wife's flight was getting in <laughs> so I was clashing with training so I said to the manager listen my wife's coming in like no one else to pick her up I'm the only one who can pick her up he says leave her with me so my God, I don't know. I don't know who ended up picking my wife up. I think it was like chairman's cousin's brother, sister, or cousin, or you know, daughter or something ended up picking her up. But they got they they got her in the end. And <laughs> but it was just they go they go beyond um, beyond necessary means to make sure I was happy and, and, and everybody everything was okay for me. You know. 
obviously family was the main reason that you ended up moving home. You're thinking of starting a family, you want to be closer to the missus and stuff. And I will be hounded if I don't mention this. Um, one of my friends, Polly O'Brien, huge Shamrock Rovers fan. If I don't mention oh, him stop. when I mention Shamrock Rovers, <laughs> he will kill me. But specifically, for you, you came home, you played for Shamrock Rovers, a very passionate fan base, massive club in the League of Ireland. Talk to me about signing for Shamrock Rovers and what that meant for you at the time and obviously your family life and kind of bridging those gaps a little bit. Yeah, so obviously we came home. Or we had the intention of coming home, not necessarily... To, to any club in particular um, but it was to come home and start a family and, and if I can get a club great and, and away we go with that and um, Shamrock Rovers was, a, was the first port of call of a friend um, he played with me at Hamilton called James Chambers and he was he was about to sign for Shamrock Rovers so he got in touch with the manager the manager at the time was Trevor Crawley and um, I spoke to Trevor a couple of times and went in had a meeting with him and, and um, joined the lads for pre-season um, we were doing pre-season with um, Finney McMahon, who is a Dublin footballer, and um, he has his own gyms, has his own strength, strength conditioning, um, um, how would you say, programs, and, and all that sort of stuff. He's now a very successful gym owner and, and business owner. Um, but he was the strength conditioning coach at Shamrock Rovers when Trevor took over, and I know Philly through association with friends of mine I went to school with. So there was, there was a couple of connections with the Shamrock Rovers thing, so I had James Chambers in there, put my name forward to, to tell him that, or ask, tell the manager that I think it would be a good signing, and I also had Finney McMahon, and um, who wouldn't have known very personally back then, but he would have known who I was and and uh, who I would have played for too much, too many friends and, and associates, you know. Um, so hugely excited to come home and sign for Shamrock Rovers, um, really huge club, massive club, the biggest biggest in the country, and um, it, it was just a it was a bit of a disappointing season. Um, for me, I picked up a couple of injuries along the way, and this this was kind of the start of the injury injury like the really troublesome injuries that I was I was starting to get, and and I, I didn't play as much as I as I as I thought I could have or I, I, I should have, um. But again, it was a that was a huge learning experience for me because it was times when, again, being twenty six coming home, I felt as if it was my uh, divine right to play to to start every game. But the squad there at Shamrock Rovers was was really strong squad. There was 22 players in that squad, probably more. Um, but 22 players, two players for every position, and, and any one of those 22 players could have gone and, and played in any any 11 or any other starting 11 team in the league. Um, but so it was it was that was that was a disappointing season for me because of it, just the talent and the mm-hmm. the ability that was in that dressing room. And we never really kind of knitted together. We never really bonded. Um, one thing that I that I would be um, that I would have noticed since coming home is that because in the League of Ireland the, the, there is shorter contracts, players are looking after themselves a lot more, and I don't mean that in a in a going to the gym looking after themselves. I mean looking out for themselves a bit more. So they're being a bit cuter if if they're if they're picking up or if they're if they have a little injury, they're not really running through the wall for the for the the players or the staff. Um, so it's it's character or little things like that. Um, developments in the, in the League of Ireland that, I, that 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 can help probably squads, probably teams, players. Um, like you look at Dundalk's success over the last couple of years, and that's been based around like players getting good good contracts, good money, being successful on the pitch, and the club being being loyal to the players. You know, and um, sometimes I, I feel like that players are, are just pieces of meat, and and um, like you said, some players get frozen out every now and again, and it's it's on to the next club, and it's like. A lot of players only sign one-year contracts in the League of Ireland, 
So it's very much a, a bit of a conveyor belt every year. You can end up like you can have ten players playing for overs one year and ten those same same ten players playing for bows the next year. You know, so it's 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 crazy the the way that that can happen and, and the way it's it's um, it's allowed to happen. You know, um, but yeah, a bit of a disappointing season with Sean McRovers, but um, learned a lot from it. Learned a lot from the coach. Trevor Crowley was one of the better coaches I worked with, um, and yeah, I put it down to a learning experience. Well, your your time at Sean it wasn't all bad. You know, there were. A yeah, couple of a couple of trophy wins along the way. Drocketa fans, yeah, stop yeah. listening. Um, specifically, you know, the League Cup final, Satanta Cup final, two huge wins, and you ended up with a couple of trophies, a couple of medals at the end of the time at Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, what, what yeah. Was look, different look, about that experience to you know your first sort of season there, we didn't maybe enjoy it as much as you could have. Yeah, well, yeah. Like I said earlier on, with the with the cup wins, like the cup wins are great. They're they're kind of temporary highs. Um, but the the highs of winning a league is outweighs that completely. Um, so I guess the main goal for us as a squad there, Shamrock Rovers, was to win the league, and the fact that we never we never achieved that was that, that was probably the most disappointing thing. And um, yeah, the two cups were, were grand, were great, and everything like that. But but um, it did, just don't compare like to the, to win the league, you know. And um, now if we're competing for something like the Champions League, then we'd be a little bit a bit different, you know, or <laughs> something something a bit, bit bigger than the. Like I know the, I'm not doing trying not to do the, the FEI Cup or the Santa Cup any any injustice here, but you know if you're playing for like a, a high, highly prestigious cup like the Champions League, that means more than just your 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 league cup, you know. Um, so I, I guess it was just 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 the, the probably the disappointment of not challenging for the league, even not even getting close. Mm-hmm. That was probably the most the the most memorable thing in my mind that season, you know. I want to ask a quick question about the Satanta and the sort of the cross Ireland um, type of competition that was. You know, we've heard a lot of stuff recently, especially in Northern Irish football, about an All Ireland League. Um, obviously, you've played in the the Northern Irish League. You've played in the League of Ireland. Um, I actually like the way the Satanta Cup was and the way it was set up and how it was built. From your perspective as a player and someone who's played in both leagues, both North and South. Any thoughts maybe on the All-Ireland League or a type of Satanta Cup or some type of Knockout Cup, something like that? I, th- I think it, I think it's really good. And that's, I know, obviously my team has won it in 2012, so of course I love it. But um, specifically, I just think the competition level is good and it's just fun, yeah. I think. Yeah, in terms of, in terms of the, like, like you say, the, the rivalry and the competition level, uh, there's always going to be that bit of, that bit of needle between, between two countries, um, regardless uh, whether it be... Uh, Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, or or Linfield, be Shamrock, Shamrock Rovers. You know, it was uh, funny enough. We actually played Linfield that, that season. I was there, and that was that was um, um, the atmosphere. Of that game was electric. Like that's, I, I didn't expect to have any sort of um, atmosphere like that away from Scotland, away from Celtic Park, away from Ibrox. Um, but to see that when I came home, Jesus, that was that was. <laughs> It was intense. Like uh, Shamrock Rovers, Linfield, a couple of games. They were in intense rivalries. The fans were were really going at it, you know. <laughs> but um, no, uh, do you know what? There's there's um there's a, a lot of a lot of kind of factors that that will either lead to an All Ireland League or not lead to an All Ireland League. And it's to be honest with you, it all comes down to money, money and sponsorship and TV deals and and everything else. Another topic where I'm touching on with the sport management degree. So. I'll be, I'm able to talk a bit more about that these days and understand a bit better. Um, but yeah, it's there's a lot more factors to it than just oh we can just why don't we just put the Stanton League back on, you know? Um, 
the finances of both leagues aren't fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's it's more beneficial for clubs to finish in, in Europe than it is to win the league, um, financially anyway. Um, so yeah, it's it's those kind of aspects and those those um, those factors that'll come into it if if the Santa Cup is to, is to come back or if the All Ireland League is to be even be considered. Hundred percent. I think specifically the League of Ireland, Northern Ireland, and, and you touched on it. It's it's finances really at the end of the day, and I think that's why COVID's really hit both leagues so so badly because you know it's not like the Premier League where you have the TV do. It's get receipts, keep those clubs alive, and it's yeah, incredibly hard. For, I think for both both leagues to really function properly, and then maybe if players aren't full time, maybe they're part time, they're going to work somewhere else, then they need to get tested, then they go and play. It's just a really really tough. Mm-hmm time um but from shamrock rovers a couple of medals in the bag you went off to Derry city um another massive club another club with a passionate fan base another club that um the expectation is extremely high from supporters and i often liken you know Derry city to a bit like a rangers or celtic where at linfield's somewhat similar where you can't lose no matter who you lose to you're on your back (laughs) yeah i guess i guess um yeah, Derry being so far north of probably most of the the large majority of the, of the League of Ireland, it kind of um, they, it's hard. I try to kind of put into words here. It's like it's like they see themselves maybe not part of it, if you know what I mean. So they're fighting against the rest of the league um, to to actually achieve something. And when they do, it's it's like super special, you know. Um, they're. they're I absolutely love playing for Derry. I thought that the people, the fans up there, it was it was great. Honestly, like a well, very well supported club, um, really passionate fans, like you said there, um, and a club that can do really well again. Like if, but this is the this is the big ifs. If they keep, if they keep achieving, so say if they get into Europe a couple of years in a row, that just brings in more money for the club, and it just brings and with more money you can attract the better players, start playing a better style of football. And, and, and maintain that success. So, for for an example, Dundalk for the last couple of years, when I was at Dundalk, they were a mid-table, t- or sorry, when I was at Shamrock Rovers, Dundalk were a mid-table team. And they've built over the last couple of years, aimed for Europe, achieved Europe, maybe three or four years in a row, then they were able to spend a, a few a few extra quid on good quality players coming in. Um, and it's, it's just kind of snowballed from there. And like Derry can, can definitely achieve that because Derry is a great club to play for. Really, again, like again, like, like the whole city of Derry loves the football club, you know. Um, so really passionate crowd, and like, like if if they achieve success, they'll bring their fans with them everywhere, you know. And, and it's a real, real passionate, real, real. Uh, and it's it's you know what, even uh, coming from uh, or going up there with Shamrock Rovers, well, really intimidating place to go. Mm-hmm. Again, if you get getting a bit of stick off the fans um, in the ground as well, like on the way in. And, and when you're in there warming up or you're playing the match, you're like, oh, go on, you sort of you know, this sort of, sort of crack, you know. So there's all that sorts of, sorts of crack being thrown around, but it's, a, it's, all, it's all part and parcel of the, the north and south divide, isn't it? Absolutely. Who did you work for um, up at Derry City? Who was the manager at the time you were there? Roddy Collins was there. Mm-hmm. So Roddy, Roddy brought, brought loaders up from Dublin and uh, signed a couple of lads. Signed myself, signed uh, Cliff Bourne, signed Aaron Barry, signed... Uh, John Paul McGovern um, had a couple of lads from, from Scotland as well over uh, like JP McGovern he, he's Scottish uh, Mark Stewart came over from Scotland as well he was with, with uh, Falkirk when he was at Hamilton um, so Roddy tried to put his own little stamp on the, on the, the Derry squad but unfortunately for, for 
for Roddy and, and us uh, as, as a club. We just never really kind of, not that we never clicked or never gelled. Um, don't know if Roddy really clicked or, or really gelled with the with the players anyway. Um, probably just didn't didn't get everything out of the players or, or struggled to get get the best out of the players at times. Um, and he ended up being sacked a couple of months in. Um, yeah, and that was the end of that. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? You know, if, if football these days, because it's often I think it's football's changed, and it's as we get older, I've noticed that the time I've given to managers and to coaches, it's definitely a lot shorter than what would have oh, been yeah. when we, yeah. we we were young when we were younger. Yeah. And for well, you, that would have, be yeah. Go ahead. That would be another, that'd be another factor in, in, in why I'm studying again, or why I'm back studying. Um, because like this job can be, like if you if you take your first job and you make a, a mess of it, you could be out the door in a couple of months and who knows when your next your next offer is coming by then, you know what I mean? Um so it's important for me at the minute I'm I'm kinda of building myself in terms of coaching capacity and education capacity. So mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm ready and uh, when I feel as if I'm ready I'll, I'll take a step or I'll, I'll hopefully take a swipe at management and coaching. Um but yeah it's it's a it's it's not exactly um, a sustainable career, really. <laughs> yeah. It's all—it's it's the fear of um, missing out on Europe, I think, and the money is really what it comes well, down to. Euro, even, European even, money is—it's yeah. it's massive. It's everything for clubs, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can win the league, like down south or, or up north, and the money—the money is really irrelevant. Like mm-hmm. if you qualify for Europe, I think I think the figures are something like two hundred and forty euro now for for forty thousand euro yeah. for qualifying for Europe, and then. For each round after that, you, you get through, you know. So that's that's I'm not too sure what the purse is for um the the league up north. What's the, the prize money? It's not overly big. I know that um a couple of years ago, you know, the team I support Crusaders, we were not doing great in the league, and pretty much the manager came out by sort of January and said, Look, all our eggs are in the Irish Cup basket because we win the cup, we're in Europe, and that's yeah. the year we got Wolves, and that's the year you know you're sitting with about 800,000 worth of extra coins in the bank through exactly. getting the first yeah. draw, being out in the Faroe Islands, a winnable tie, going yeah. through, getting Wolves, the gates. It, that's really what makes the world go right in, in yeah. the League of Ireland and up north. Yeah, and another thing with the, with qualifying for Europe a couple of years in a row is then you you, you become seeded then. So then you get you, you get a chance of getting the easier draws like, like the Faroe Islands or, or somebody like that, you know. So, and then like win, it, win a draw and you've just doubled your purse for the year then, you know, it's it's um European football is is fantastic for the Irish clubs, you know. Yeah, really, really is. Um, let's talk about you. You moved to the the Danske Bank Premier League. You moved to Glenavon. Um, yeah. Gary Hamilton. When I grew up, Gary Hamilton, one of the best strikers in the league. Um, spoke to Sean Ward, who's now at Glenavon, was at Crusaders and Glen Torn maybe at your time during the Irish League. And Sean would sort of say that he he, he got frustrated playing with Gary sometimes because he didn't pass the ball right to his feet. He threw his arms up in the air and almost off. <laughs> but you came up to Glenavon. Gary Hamilton was the manager. What was it like coming up to Glenavon and playing under Gary Hamilton? Yeah, to be honest, I came up in the January, so it was um, Gary. Gary was uh, I had a meeting with Gary, and he he absolutely talked me talked the ear off me and convinced me to sign. Um, now again, I got I was actually eager to come up and sign because I heard a couple of lads were up there already. Uh, Declan O'Brien had just signed, yeah, and um, he was saying, "Yeah, come on up." I think he was just looking for a for a car school buddy initially. <laughs> but um, now, listen, um, loads of time for Gary, and he's still a, still a good friend of mine. Um, went up there, and um, Gary was still playing. He, I think he's uh, he lost a bit of the, the chip on the shoulder, and he'd thrown his arms in the air. If you if you misplace a pass to him at that stage, but um. 
No, listen, uh, I, I think that I touched on earlier on in terms of team morale and, and team spirit. Um, this going to happen team, we had that. And, and the, the team that Gary put together, we had that. We had the, we had the camaraderie, we had, we had the banter, we had the, the team spirit. Um, I think out of the three seasons I was there, we qualified for Europe twice. Um, when the when the the cup once as well, mm-hmm. um. So look at like Gary. Gary has some really some great strengths, and one of his strengths is recruitment. And that's and some some people might say recruitment is everything, but he always manages to pull something out, out of a hat. You know, um. At my time there, like we had such a such a great squad there. Like we had uh, so myself, um, Declan O'Brien, Kieran Martin, Kevin Braniff, yeah. um, Owen Bradley, um, Johnny Tuffy. Yeah. Um, even even the younger lads that came through, like Gaz, would have spotted these young lads and brought them through very quickly to the first team. So you're talking about like so Reese Marshall, James Singleton, and Bobby Bournes came through. Was coming through as as I was kind of as I was leaving, and then um, he's done well for himself um, since Mark Sykes. Yeah. Um, so and and Josh Daniels then signed after I left. So 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 Gaz can certainly pick a player. Um, and it, but it was it was always Gaz's demeanour with us. Um, as a as a squad and as a group, there was never any shouting and ball. It was um, it was always re- real kind of calm and relaxed, and uh, gave you gave your instructions. Go out and do it. Job done, lads. And uh, guys, be happy enough for that. Um, he kind of he kind of just left us to it as well. Like maybe maybe it was because of the dressing room that he put together, um, the experience that was in that dressing room. He didn't really have to manage too badly or too or too or too much, if you know what I mean. Um, like a lot of experience myself, Fabio, um, Kieran Martin, um, so like all these big characters in the dressing room, we we know what we're doing anyway, you know. Um, didn't really need any any other guidance, maybe just a, a, a word here or there, um, and then then that was that was it. But that that would have been one of, one of guys' strengths that that I look at and, and try and take from for for my for my my future in, in the game. Um, recruitment is everything. <laughs> yeah, certainly it's going to happen. Um, he seems to always, and it's sort of been a trait since he's been there, is blend experience, the people that know what they're doing and almost run yeah. the changing room with four, five, six kids coming yeah. through. You're maybe a bit fearless, maybe don't have the experience. You're just going to go and play and the experienced yeah. players will teach them how maybe to manage the game. And yeah. it's incredibly, incredibly, it's worked incredibly well for them, um, for having... Specifically, you know, as a Crusaders fan, I hate going to Morningview. It drives me mad because we never get a result down there. And yeah, and that's that's the way Gary kind of has it. He, that's that's the way he wants it. He wants it to be a tough place for people to go. I know. I know. Before I remember speaking to Gary, and he, before he took over there, Glenavon was always a handy three points for teams. And then you go into the bar after the game, and, and there'd be a spread of food on there for you. And, and, and people used to love going to Glenavon for away games. And um, the food is still there. And the, the bar is still there <laughs> after the game, but um, certainly it's 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 now a little fortress for Glenavon, and, and uh, their home form is, is definitely something to, that stands to them uh, year in year out. You know, well, winning the Irish Cup there, how special was that? Not only for you, you've added another medal to your collection, and obviously a massive achievement for the club. He's won two Irish Cups in inside a three-year spell there, so he has a Glenavon. Really seems to like the knockout cup competition, and um, Kevin Braniff. What a player! Remember him scoring four to kill us in a semi-final. Um, yeah. Talk to me about that Irish Cup run and winning that trophy. Yeah, well, again, it was all to, all to do with like t- team team morale, team camaraderie, and uh, the togetherness in, in the dressing room. You know, um, like we always fancied ourselves against any opposition. You know, especially with the squad of players we had. 
Um, I probably missed out a few names as well, like the likes of Chris Lindsay. Chris Lindsay was, was in that squad as well. Right, yeah. Um, um, uh, Martin in the middle. Yeah. Um, he was uh, he was brilliant. He was he was just sitting in front of us. Killers used to just sit in front of us and just ha- just hatch at everybody. <laughs> and he used to do our job for us, you know. But no, we'd always uh, we couldn't have him as well. So we you talk about budgets and purses and stuff like that. And um, probably just always a bit shy shy of Linfield, Crusaders, um, Cliftonville. Um, even parts of the time they had, a, they had a big budget at the time um, so like, like in terms of budgets like way off way off their budgets but, but always like punching um, above ourselves you know um, so when it, when it came to building that squad um, I think I think we just we were always the underdogs it was kind of kind of suited us you know mm-hmm. um, we were going into games fancying ourselves fancying our chances now with with, with a better budget and, and maybe a bit um, a couple of better players to add to that squad then you can start pushing for the league titles, you know. And it would take you just it would take you just on that, that little bit extra that, that'll get you challenging the Linfields Crusaders for the league titles. Um but now certainly on a day that that squad that we had with Glenavon was good enough to be anybody up there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I can attest to having sat in the stand frustrated um as my team lost down there as we're challenging for league titles. But specifically your time at Glenavon was really, really good. And Glenavon is a club, and you've played in a lot of different derbies over the years, you know, Shamrock Bowes, you played, you talked with Shamrock even Linfield in that atmosphere. What was Glenavon ported down like for you coming in as an experienced player? Um, yeah, it was it was really up there with it, I think. Um, I know I was, I didn't, not that I didn't quite understand, I didn't get it. I, like, Glenavon ported down, there wouldn't be two of the, the like, there wouldn't be two of the, the most, um, the biggest names up here. Per se, you know, not not to do do parts any disrespect. They've been a successful club for years, you know. But uh, but over the last say, couple of years or before I moved up, it was always Linfield and Cruz and Cliftonville were and Cliftonville won the league yeah. two years previous in a row. And um, when I was coming up there, so parts were kind of on a downward spiral and then got relegated a couple or a couple of years. And um, but I, I never I never really I just I didn't didn't realize that I didn't realize um it was such a huge derby, um. The first the first season I was there, I was thinking I, I ended up asking, "Who are we playing on, on Boxing Day?" Or, you know, so I didn't didn't have a clue, like really. I put I knew all about it after those first couple of matches, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, real intense. You know, I don't think it was probably the the most the most electric atmosphere I would have played um, in would have been that, that Shamrock Rovers Linfield game. Those yeah. games were that, that was like like there wasn't that many f- fans there, or there was many fans that could have been in in terms of that the. In terms of down in Stalla or down in Talla, um, that 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 Linfield could have got in, but it was just, it was it was how um, eccentric both sets of fans were that, that game and how excitable they were. Um, but yeah, no, part of Glen Avon is a is a is a huge huge rivalry that you don't really you don't really understand until you played in it. You know, I think one of the games actually, um, I think it was it was box obviously a boxing boxing day game I played, and all week leading up to the game, uh, we were chasing. The, the IFA to see if I was clear to play because apparently I was coming up to me, me limit on bookings I had a few bookings and then on the tours they know for for training I went into Gaza and said what's the story am I, am I okay to play Saturday like I'll be good to go like, and he goes yeah yeah I've heard nothing you're good to play and then apparently as soon as I stepped foot in the pitch as soon as the referee blew the whistle one of their fans he was like a, a diehard statistic with a, a stato Turned to one of the Glavin lads and goes, right, that's us one three 0 here, so Elibert should should be suspended. <laughs> so yeah, so there was a uh, bragging rights. I, I don't think I lived that one down actually either. I got a, I got a bit of stick for a couple of years after that for playing as a banger in that game. 
<laughs> it's it's crazy, and sometimes, and I joke around with some of my mates, and I love the Irish league, but it's crazy sometimes how I wouldn't say unprofessional, but just how things slip through the net, and then they realise later on type thing. Like there was a, an incident. I heard recently, I was on the radio, Sean O'Neill saved the penalty against Duncan, and I believe it was for, for Crusaders. And he's on the radio giving an interview and talking about, he was joking about with the ref where the players could have hit the penalty. And I'm sort of saying like, why is this on the radio? Uh, it's just so Irish league. But yeah. specifically with your time there um, in the Irish league, you went from Glenavon to Ards. And just before we we get into the, the Ards stuff, talk to me a little bit about the differences between the Danske Bank Premier League in Northern Ireland and the League of Ireland um, in the South and maybe the differences in standards, the professionalism, what similarities, what differences? Um, yeah, well, you probably talk like budget-wise. Um, there seems to be a bit more money floating around the League of Ireland than there is up north, um, which is uh, the full-time football obviously has a factor in, in the maybe the standard at the level. Um, I don't think like the top teams like the likes of Crews and Linfield they're not too far away from the top teams down here um, through a couple of pre-seasons I think we played Dundalk when they were winning the, the League of Ireland down here with the, with the Declan Evans team and mm-hmm. um, I think we, we drew a couple of games or we might have even, even beaten them once as well um, so this, like the standard is not it's it's probably more of a consistency in fairness we, I know we spoke about this word a, a good bit over the over the course of the, the podcast um, but yeah it's I'd say uh Consistently, it's probably better. Um, where, where maybe just week in, week out, the Irish League would suffer a little bit more than the than the League of Ireland would. Um, like even you look at Shamrock Rovers there this year, they went unbeaten this year. Yeah. I'm not too sure when the last team to go unbeaten in the, the Northern Irish Premiership is, you know. And I know, albeit a, a quite a short season this year. Um, but yeah, and I and I probably put that down to full time football as well. You know, the consistency comes with. Like practicing week in or day in, day out, week in, week out. Um, it's a luxury that some of the, the League of Ireland clubs have. I know Crusaders, I don't know if they're still doing it. They tried to introduce it a couple of seasons ago when it was at Ards and a full time full time football, full time training. It just gives lads more hours in training pitching to work on whatever they need to work on, you know. Um, and that, and that, that can be the difference between like winning and losing, being consistent or not being consistent or, or winning. Are winning or losing one game out of five rather than maybe one game out of ten, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's probably it's probably the only differences I see. Yeah, Addy and Wilson on the podcast, he was used to be at Rangers and he's now at Crusaders centre back. And he was saying the difference is that you just have more time with players on a pitch to maybe do stuff that maybe if you're part time and training on a Tuesday or Thursday night that you just don't have the time to do. Um, yeah. Funny as you say that, actually, because that was always when I, when, I, when I was finished playing with Ards, I stepped into the coaching side of things with Ards. And I was trying. To, I was coming up with all these plans and ideas, and all, And Nicky was going, "David, we just don't have time, mate. We've only got an hour and a half on the Tuesday and Thursday. I can't get all this into one session." <laughs> so yeah, you're right. It's just, it's just it, and it's the freedom as well. Like I mean, we were at, like even talking about that. Like we were at Ards. We were on at Ards for an hour and a half, half a pitch, Tuesday, Thursday. It's not enough. It's not enough size. It's not enough space. It's not enough time, um, to do what you need to do. Sometimes for pre- preparing for games and all. And then you, you don't even you can't even factor in that's that's without even factoring in the video analysis or or anything else you know um things things like set pieces get get knocked in the head as well just because they're time consuming you might need to do something else as well you know yeah I mean you probably you probably noticed what Lauren are doing and it's maybe a question of what I have for you about Lauren Lauren obviously have a financial backer they've 
being propelled from the championship to the premiership and they're now challenging for the league title sitting second behind Linfield um, replaced the pitch put a plastic pitch in avoiding games being called off especially with our adverse weather um, Lauren I think are really beginning to probably even more so than Crusaders are probably laying down the foundation of a model which might actually work for Northern Ireland and maybe level that playing field to a degree with the League of Ireland and like what's your thoughts on what Lauren have done if you're um, do you know what they they have they've done they've like you said they've set the foundations there um but the only difference is and listen they've done a great job on what they're what they're doing now at the minute is is was the goal maybe four or five years ago when when the the, the What's the, what's the fella's name again? Uh, Kenny Bruce. Yeah, so when, when Kenny Bruce went in, uh, that was his goal. It was his aim to compete straight away. Like, like you said, I think he spoke about maybe Champions League, mm-hmm. being trying to qualify for the Champions League um, straight away when as soon as he came in. Um, but realistically, how many clubs have, have, a, have a financial backer behind them? You know, so like everyone else in the league is competing for prize money off their own, off their own bat. Yeah. Um, trying to manage their budgets, trying to manage football as a business. Trying to stay afloat um, during during the the pandemic at the minute, um, so so look at it's 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 different scenario. Like like you look at it's 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 happened all across the world. Like you look at even Chelsea in the Premier League, or Man City in the Premier League, they have these financial backers coming in and they succeed straight away. If the financial backing is there, it's fantastic. But these these foundations you speak of, they cost money, you know, um, and it's probably something that that it's it's definitely something that. Not a lot of Irish league, including League of Ireland clubs or teams, just don't have the gun. Welcome with Shelbourne at the minute, and it's like you're fighting tooth and nail to get a, another bag of balls for training, you know, or get a get a, a bit of extra space for a training pitch, you know. So it's um all the all the problems that are there are are really the financial constraints of, of both both leagues, you know. Was well, with the arts you felt that you know as you said you've only got the hour and a half and the Chiefs the hour and a half and a third, and you're on half a pitch. Um, your time at Ards as well, like. Previously on my podcast, I've had Craig McLean and that episode will be out just before yours. But Craig made made sort of the point at odds that they, they knew it was going to be a relegation fight that year. And he made the point that Ards, he knew they were in for a long season. You were injured quite a lot of it. And he made that point that you were brought in as one of their big signings to help steady the ship. And with your injury, they knew they were going to struggle a little bit. Um, your time at Ards, any thoughts on that time up there? Yeah, well, the, the fourth season was was quite successful. Um, I think we managed to finish maybe seventh or eighth. I think by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, but now again, like so, you're talking about the 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 level the level of player, the the, the quality of player. Um, at Ards, you're probably your aim is to survive every year, and that's that's just the bones of it. That's that's the reality of it. Um, luckily enough, with Ards in the fourth season, we 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 made it to maybe eighth or ninth, I think. And we were pushing. We were we were trying to build on the on the squad for next year. And um, I, I would have been really close with Nicky and and looking to get players players in even from down south. I was in, in touch with a couple of lads, and um, we brought Craig in as well for a bit of experience there in the left back area. Um, after losing a couple of lads, um, so we, we lost a couple of lads in the after the fourth season, and it just seemed that if there was any sort of ambition with the club to kick on a little bit, um, we would have tried tried to hang on to them, and tried to sign a few more um, and it just didn't happen we ended up we probably ended up with a weaker squad starting up in the, in the second year than we did in the first year um, and then to add insult to injury um, or insult and injury in my case I was starting to pick up a few extra niggles um, now I played 
the the large majority of the games the season before, but picked up a hamstring injury later on in the season. But we were kind of safe or safe enough at that stage, so it wasn't it wasn't that important. Now, what happened at that stage? The, the safer we got, the more the lads kind of relaxed. There was no real pressure on them. They, they weren't like it wasn't a desperate attempt for for three points every Saturday. You know, um, there wasn't there wasn't the pressure even on, even on the simplest little things like a pass or a, or a shot or, or everything like that. All the lads just kind of relaxed a little bit more and started to, to play the way they we knew we knew they could play, you know. And we, that's how we probably ended up finishing eighth that season. Um, the following season again, once we went back to um, the reality, but reality check of a relegation dogfight, you, you, I could see it. I actually seen it with players. They actually just physically just clammed up, and they weren't the same player they were this, the, the previous season. And like they couldn't even explain it. They were they were trying so hard to get themselves out of this rut. But they were probably trying too hard, um, and the reality of it is that that if we had maybe signed a, um, a better quality of player the following season, then it didn't need to be a, like a, like a whole dressing room full of players. It was it only needed to be one or two, and um, because we had, we had the bones of a decent squad there that that could have survived again easily or comfortably, um, but it just didn't happen. And it's 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 probably a, it was probably a club and a, and a board decision, and uh, not to invest so much money in the squad just in case. Um, just in case we got relegated, and it turns out we did, you know. So there's always that in the back burner for every club. So if you if you go for it, invest a few a few um, a bit more money in the squad um, and the playing staff, um, there there can be repercussions. And in that season we were relegated, and now it's happened maybe a backup since. So yeah, well, I mean your time at Ards, you were with um, you mentioned Craig McLean played left back on your second season. You played with Chris Lindsay at Glenavon as a any surprise to you at all, or was there many conversations with those guys about transitioning into coaching once the once the hang up? Uh, no, no, not those two guys. Anyway, uh, specifically not not those two. Um, Chris Lindsay was he was doing his coaching badges when I was at um, Glenavon. Anyway, Work, working with the IFA, um, doing little um, training camps and football camps for kids. And uh, I don't know if he had his own academy at the time or has his own academy now. Uh, Craigers, Craigers was always well. <laughs> I just against Crusaders. Every time I was playing against Crusaders, now I'd be quite leery on the pitch and quite uh, opinionated on the pitch. And I don't think there's a player on that Crusaders team, that successful Crusaders team, that I didn't have choice words with, you know. <laughs> and Craig is what would have been one of them at, at the time as well. But um, now, luckily, we got to know each other well at Ards, and we're, we're good friends now. Um, but Craig is um, Craig's a real thinker on the on the pitch, and he knows the game inside out and meticulous in his planning, his preparation. And you just know he's going to take that into the coaching as well. And um, I, I remember speaking to him, he took a couple of games there um, in charge of ours when, when, when Feeney got sacked, or sorry, when Warren Feeney went to Bulgaria. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I was on the phone with him quite a, quite a bit around this time and say, how are you going? How's things? You all right? Um, because there had been a time where um, the two of us may, might have taken over in place of Nicky um, before they got Warren Feeney. Um, so the two of us were, were in touch quite a lot and like planning sessions and having ideas ready ready to go, picking the team for the following week and you know bouncing off bouncing off each other that way you know. But but Craigers and his planning and his, and his coaching preparations, you just know he's going to be he'd, be he'd be right there, he'd be right up there uh, with the best of them. I think. Looking forward to seeing his development um, and yours as well. Obviously, whatever happens once you once you get through your degree and go back to Shelbourne and things all kick off and hopefully get back to somewhat a bit of normality. But to wrap up the podcast, this has been really good fun. 
um, I always title this a quick fire Q&A. And these questions are <laughs> questions that I, I ask people like, hey, I've got this guy in the podcast. What should I ask him? Give me some questions that you would like to hear what he has to say on. So we'll fire through some of these. And I hope you didn't ask Craig as any of these questions. <laughs> I didn't have time. Me and Craig talked that long. Our podcast was two hours long, so we didn't really get to this point. Yeah. Um, this one, first one for you, is your favourite ground that, to, to play at as a player? Um, Ibrox. Yeah? Any yeah. any memories from Ibrox? Um, yeah, a few hammerings, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually, as a club, Hamilton, we actually used to do okay at Ibrox. We used to hold our own there. Um, I don't know if the Rangers lads felt a bit sorry for us just because we were playing for Hamilton or whatever, but uh, we had a couple of draws and a couple of cup matches. Uh, and I think we got a nil-all draw there in the league once as well. So um, that's about as, as good as we could we could hope for at the time. Uh, but no, I used to, used, to, used to say some of my better performances uh, uh, for Ibrox, you know. And probably just that rivalry with the Republic of Ireland and, and Rangers, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was looking for a photo for your promo picture, I was looking through the internet and there was a very good one of you and Davey Weir together. Yeah. And, and when it was he, was that another one that got some Crusaders player choice words? Ah, uh, well, I think I don't think there was many people that that didn't get a few choice words in my playing career. To be <laughs> honest, <laughs> no, but I, th- I think I've, actually I was after one of my um, X-rated tackles, and I don't think Davy Weir was was too happy. He decided to trot all the way up from the back to to confront me about it. So yeah, I wasn't I wasn't a shrinking boil anyway. So I gave as good as I got. <laughs> We are a very good player, but I think Trot does sum up the Weir's <laughs> pace very, very well. Well, at that stage in his career, it was probably Trotting, but he was still he still knew the game so well, it was hard to catch him out, you know. <laughs> yeah, good player. Um, is there a ground that you hated going to or hated playing at? Um, this is one of the ones that I struggled, actually. I, um, you sent us the questions there. I was kind of thinking of it, and there really wasn't a ground I, I hated too too much or too badly. Um. <laughs> Like there was a couple of a couple of bad rounds over the years. Like, like you, you get them everywhere. You, you get a dodgy cup draw and you end up down at like Derryview or something like that. Or mm. the grounds like that, like really like like dreary conditions, dreary dressing rooms, small, tiny little dressing rooms. No toilet facilities are. The showers be cold after the game. But there was no none really that stuck out in my mind, to be honest. Um, no, like. Derby one's yeah. funny because in my group chat today we were talking about like favorite away days and stuff and I said I actually like enough to ball the mallard and making a day out of it and stop yeah. at the hotel for food. And yeah, then Ballamallard's pitch was always in top notch yeah. condition. So I used to love playing there, like so it was, it was always good. Like you knew you were gonna get a good surface there anyway. Yeah, and I suppose probably from my time at Hamilton, it would have been like the 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 journeys up to say Ross County or Inverness or mm-hmm. like the, they were probably the longest journeys you do in Scotland. And uh, like I know down in England you travel a lot more than that, but they were they were four hours up, up there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably just just the traveling as uh, it was probably just the more you had to travel, the the more you disliked it, you know. It wouldn't it wouldn't be grounds or stadiums or anything like that really really particular like that, you know. What about your favorite goalkeeper to play in front of as a centre back? Yeah, um, but a few a few decent ones. In fairness, now. There's a couple of good ones at Preston that I wouldn't exactly have played in, in front of. I would have trained with and that, and that, but they wouldn't really, I wouldn't really call it call it playing in front of them. We didn't make any any appearances for Preston. Um, Thomas Cherney, when I was at Hamilton, he was he was really good. Check, actually, he's just retired. Yeah, I think it could be just this weekend. I've seen something going up on social media there. Um, so yeah, he was he was a great goalkeeper. Um, another one that I'd mention would be Jonathan Tuffy. Yeah, 
Yeah, I couldn't have him. Jesus, there was a stage there that, that that first season we qualified, or the second season we qualified for Europe. Um, Tuffers was that good behind us. Like it got to a stage where if somebody was going or scored a one on one, you were going, Jesus, because you'd expected Tuffers to save it, and he had saved them so many times before. When they actually scored, it was nearly a surprise. It was like, what? They actually scored? Like a one on one situation. Like so, uh, Tuffers Tuffers communication is excellent as well. Um, really top keeper. And uh, now he was he was one of the better ones that I played played in front of anyway, you know. I was quite surprised Linfield let him go so quickly. I know people maybe made a bit of a judgment call on him that it didn't work out well. I didn't think he got long enough to really impose a bit of personality. It's really been a massive gain for Glenavon. Yeah, uh, a huge gain for Glenavon, and he has been, you know. Um, I think I think the thing with Linfield was that 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 uh, uh Tuffers was absolutely loved at Glenavon right from the minute he walked through the door. Um, with being at Linfield, there's a lot more pressure on when you're at, when you're in Linfield or when you're at Linfield. Um, you're obviously at a bigger club. Every mistake is highlighted. And um, Clenavon, he was, he was. You now we didn't make very very many mistakes at all. In fairness, at Clenavon, but that would probably be down to a confidence thing. He was he was flying high when he was at us, and when I was saying when I was there, he was probably the top keeper in the league. Like, I don't think there was. I, I would argue with anybody that, that he would have been the best keeper in the league at, at the time. You know. Um, but yeah, no, it was probably more of a confidence thing than anything else. Like I remember when we played uh, Linfield for Glenavon and Tuffers was in goal for, for Linfield. Gaz was telling us to put crosses in on him because he's like he flapped it across in the first half for that. Um so that it, and then it was just playing his confidence then, you know. So we were just we were just picking picking holes in his games and it wasn't his, his goalkeeping ability, it was it was more of his confidence. It was his mental mental strength and toughness, you know. So but at Glenavon he was loved. He's he's the top man in the dressing room. He was captain, um. So yeah, not like he was he was totally at, at home there at Glenavon, and I think his performances and, and his the level of, um, or the the, num- the number of years service he's given to the club has been has been remarkable. Yeah, you mentioned being one of the best keepers in the league, and he probably still is. You know, at, at Glenavon doing the business. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Actually, I remember Tuffers from being at Inverness over in, in Scotland. Yeah, I remember bumping into him a couple of times, and, and obviously playing against him. And again, it probably would have been a similar thing, like where where every mistake is highlighted, or if you make a mistake, you're gone. You know, you're out of the team. The next, the the next, or the reserve keeper is, is taking your place. You know, and uh, like in the the higher you go, the more competitive it is. And and um, yeah, Tuffers just seem to find his home at Glenavon, and, and that's it. Yeah, you mentioned earlier on about being at Hamilton, and you probably were maybe a bit naive and didn't should have maybe signed a bit more of a longer contract or asked for more of a longer contract at the time. But was there ever any offer on the table at any point in your career that you look back and go, oh, I wish I had a sign that? Or, um, yeah, well, the, the Hamilton one probably that would have been my only, um, again, I wouldn't say regret because at the time I, I felt like I was, I was making the right call, yeah. Um, even in hindsight, like where my career has gone, I've had, I've had a great career, I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for, for the world, you know. Um, the, the, like the, the thing about the, the deal at the time, it would have been a bit more security, it would have been, say, like I think. I was. I spoke to the chairman at the time, and it was. I, I wanted a one-year deal, um, to see if I could kind of find something else, maybe the following season, or have a have a, have a as good a season as I had, I had had that year to go and negotiate somewhere else, you know. But um, in hindsight, I probably should have like, sat in there with the chairman and said, "Right, give me a long-term deal. I want to want to stay here for a while," you know. Um, but then again, like inexperience, your your ego kind of gets in the way as a as a young professional, and um, yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a regret, but maybe something, a uh, conversation, it could have been a different conversation I could have had with What about your 
most hated opponent in terms of a player? Was there a player you had the mark that you just every time oh, rolled the eyes? Um, a few of them across the years. Um, I suppose uh, in terms of I'll do league by league, and so in terms of Scotland, my worst nightmare was somebody like Kenny Miller, like low centre gravity, short and sharp, really quick, um, and knows where the goal is as well. You know, um, I had less trouble with the likes of say Chris Boyd, big physical presence. Yeah. Um, like I can handle him in, in aerial duels and, and, and whatever else, any, any sort of physical battles. Um, but, but then you have to look out for Boydie in the box. Then um, he'd come alive in the box, you know. Um, but now Kenny Miller used to kind of he'd be he'd even one to give you nightmares, like or give me nightmares anyway in particular. Just uh, he was full of high intense running for the whole game. We talk about like training flat out and playing flat out. He had a couple of hamstring injuries, which is probably why because he just used to run so much. And it was it was the, the the high intensity run that he used to do. He was he was always sprinting. That was the thing he used to kill me as well. Like uh, just trying to trying to keep up with his pace uh, was 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 tough going, you know. Um, in terms of in terms of League of Ireland, I probably spent more years in um, Northern Ireland to be honest. So I'd, I'd go off go off that one. Uh, Big Jordan Owens, uh, had some some really battles with him. Um, enjoyed every every minute of them. Uh, hated every minute of them sometimes as well. Um, but really now uh, he was it was that Crusaders team for me was 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 always the biggest test of the, of the year, um, just because of the way they play the style the style they play, it's kind of like I'm not going to call it old school but it's a direct style of play and it suits it suits them perfectly the players they have there it just it just always suited them perfectly they gave us a couple of doings with Glenavon as well over the years, um, even with the likes of Linfield Linfield always tried to play so you could, you could come up with a tactical plan to sit in deep. And try and frustrate them. Now we tried to do that a couple of times at, at Crusaders because what, what we tried to do with Glenavon and Ards as well is um, eradicate the space in behind. So if you're going up for a header with, with Big Jordan, uh, you'd be flicking it on, and then you have the likes of um, Heatley running after it, um, a couple of other lads like real real pace. Like Michael Carver was there, uh, Snotty was there coming from midfield, Declan uh, Cadell. From midfield, yeah, I, like I got all these players, like, and all they're doing was just feeding off scraps. And if you weren't switched on, or if you weren't alive, they, they're in. And these lads just used to score goals for fun. Like, like I remember a couple of times, like eleven, I think they hit us for six or seven. They were the only guys playing that game in particular, but it was just, it was just what the the, the how they played the game, and, and uh, um, they just used to play to their strengths. And the way they played it was just like it was a physical nearly a traditional style of football but it was so successful and it's, it still is now and, and why would you not hit, hit a 40-yard long pass up to Jordan Owen's head when you have a strike like that he wants to head the ball as, as much as he does you know well, The thing is as well even for you probably as a centre-back you can maybe win some of those battles or maybe most of them or maybe, maybe even all of them it's the second no, well, ball the thing, No the thing is with Jordan you would, you'd, you'd win most I'd say 50% of them if you're lucky on a good day He's that good. I, I would hold him up there with one of the best aerial competitors I, I faced throughout my career. Um, he uses size, he uses strength. He can jump for a big lad as well. Um, no, he just he's he was he was very good. Very, he used to love the battles. Like, and, and then he probably he probably tell you I was a, a right so and so on the pitch, you know. Um, but that, that didn't matter. I loved loved the rivalry, loved the, the competition. Um, playing up against the big man, you know, did give me a few nightmares at, at times, but. Um, no, I love the love, love playing against. Yeah, some one of those games you spoke of. I watched the highlights the other day. You didn't actually play. It was seven three to Crusaders, and we went on to win the league that year. Gavin White had a hat trick. 
Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. That was was that Yes, yeah, 1B. Yeah. I don't think when he's won the league, then at the end of the season, um, he's beat us 4 0 or something at, yeah. at your place. It was the last game of the season. We'd already qualified for Europe. Yeah. And he's, he's hammered us 4 0 as well. And uh, yeah, that was again, like, I think it was 2 0 after about five minutes or something yeah. like that. Like, the writing is on the wall straight away, then, you know. What about um, for you with some injuries? And I haven't really planned this question, but when you've gone up to Northern Ireland and Crusaders, Clissendall had won two leagues in the bounce, then Crusaders went on to win two leagues on the bounce. The plastic mm. pitch. Did do you think that played a factor in those um, two clubs being the only two in the league? I know maybe all teams perhaps were training on three G, four G, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, like people kind of they use it as excuses, really. Um, maybe 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 Linfield might use that as an excuse because they were playing the grass the whole time. But now, listen, in terms of what like doesn't really matter what surface you're playing on. To be honest, yeah, it can it can be an advantage. For if Crusaders are trained on it every day uh, and they know the bounces and, and whatever else, and sometimes it'll take you ten minutes to get to get to the, the pitch of the ball, and uh, just to get get to the bounce of the ball on the pitch. But um, no, okay, like like I, don't, I, don't, I think you're doing you'd be doing Crusaders and Cliftonville injustice uh, in terms of their squads and, and the, the talent that they had in their squads. Uh, so it's like saying that the only one in the league because they played on AstroTorf. Like you for, you're forgetting the quality of, of all these players that played for those teams. And win the league, you know. So a lot of a lot of good quality players there. So um, I don't think you can you can just just say it was the or the Astro was a. It, listen, it could be a small factor. It could be like one of the like small percentages, but the biggest factor is the squad and, and what you, what you can get out of your squad and what 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 the players do for that team, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. It just it's it's a criticism I see quite a lot, you know, in terms of yeah. procedures in Cliftonville and sort of where they've got and it's like oh that's because of the pitch and I was curious for you as someone who played on it and um, played against them on it and played on grass and stuff what your sort of opinion was and um, so they're just really really interesting answer um from your point of view you mentioned Trevor Crawley earlier is there a particular manager that you learned the most under um well, I would say Trevor will be right up there um in terms of that, that question um as a player yeah, you you pick little bits up from every every manager. Every manager is different. They have a different style of play. They have a different role for you to play with the club. They have a different job for you to do on the pitch. Um, so in terms of, in terms of playing, um, working with Trevor was probably the first time that I would I would have been aware or more aware of the tactical um, or the more tactical side of the game, if you like. So it was more I was kind of focusing then on. On badges and maybe thinking about doing a coaching badge. So I was, I was, I was, uh, I was kind of an open book going in there. Chamber always and seeing Trevor and how good he is, um, on the training pitch. I was, I was, I was eager to kind of take a few little snippets for from my own coaching career like in the future. Um, but as a player, he certainly taught me like, like where to go, where to be, and um, in terms of build up, in terms of uh, transitions, in terms of defending. Um, I, he was really impressive as a coach. I have to say that like, he was. Definitely one of the most uh, tactically aware coaches that I worked with during my playing days. Um, like he's gone on to have success now at Bohemians now as, as assistant coach, you know. Um, but it just whatever happened to that Shamrock Rovers team, his plans or his his um, what's the, um, his style of play, it just it just didn't click with us. If you know what I mean, we we had we had the quality, we dominated the ball for large portions of games. And we just couldn't find ways to break teams down. So what teams were doing is they were just sitting off against us and hitting us in the break. Um, and we we kind of we got to know that. Now listen, 
give another season if I if I stayed maybe another season with Trevor, I'd learned a lot more and we like um the the team kind of developed that the next season I think they got into Europe the, the season after I left so so there were there were, there was there were definitely getting solutions to the to the, the tactics that Trevor had, um but now listen I, I think I think every player would have learned something there not just myself you know as um or with, with Trevor that was. That was he really went into the, the video analysis side of stuff and the training sessions were all relative. Like you were in there pre-training session, um, watching videos of the last game, and you're going straight onto the pitch, trying to improve that exact video he just showed you. So it was all very uh, relative. You could see what he was doing and why he was doing it, and um, I think that just kind of rung true to me, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Always good to hear that, um, especially someone who wants, you know, who's working and moving into that coaching space, who they who they learned the most under and different tactics and styles and, you know, types of things that maybe that manager done. But David, last question for you. What mentality does someone need to succeed in professional football? Um, Again, it's, it's, it's hard to give you just one, one word was answer there or one characteristic. It takes a lot of things. It takes, first of all, it takes luck. Um, it takes uh, a lot of dedication. Um, a bit, a bit of everything. Like you need, like you need, you need to, to, you need to be professional. You need to be dedicated. You need to um, invest t- time and money in yourself. Um, you need to be honest with yourself. Um, you need to be truthful with yourself. Um, and I, I suppose. A desire you need to have a desire to, to achieve in the game. I think there was, there was actually, um, I read or when I was younger, I read Tony Adams' book, and Tony Adams would have been a centre half. And I think the, the little quote in his book was, um, talent plus desire equals success. And that was always a little motto that I kind of, I kind of stuck with. If you can, or if you, if I was to just throw that motto back at you, but it takes it's not just one thing, it's it's a lot of a lot of things mixed in together. Um, and yeah, it's, it can be a rough career or it can be a rough trade to be in. But now I, I certainly enjoyed all my memories and all my all my experiences in football, and hopefully I'll have many more to come with it, with either the coaching side of things or maybe even a, at board level. Well, David, I've absolutely enjoyed this chat, and I really, really think there is a lot more to come for you. I'm really excited to see where your journey leads. But for our listeners, that was David Ellibert. I'm Darren Potts. This was the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. And be sure to check in next week. But David, for you, thank you so much uh, for giving me your time today and just coming on and chatting a bit throughout your career. No problem, mate. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. That was the podcast. That was David Ellibert and that was our conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm slightly biased. It's my podcast. But remember to follow me on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at The Podcast, And that way you won't miss any of the upcoming content.